All right, hello again. Um, welcome if you've just arrived. We're going to continue in our sermon series in the Psalms, Stronger Through Prayer. We're looking at Psalm 46. Psalm 46. If you're following along in the Church Bible, it's page 471. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word to us. And we do pray that as you have worked in the world through your word and spirit, so now... May the word and spirit work in us. We pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would make this word come alive to us so that we would be hearing from you. We would be consecrated for you, strengthened to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, we've been going through this series on prayer, and hopefully, uh, you know, you've been given a shot in the arm in terms of, like, praying, praying in the new year. Hopefully it's helping you. Um, learn how to pray. That's what we first covered in Psalm 40 a couple of weeks ago. We were taught how to pray. We want to pray that we would grow, and we need to grow to pray. And that's making those wow kind of prayers where we praise God into our lives, right? Last week, we looked at Psalm 44. We learned to pray effective prayers. How do we make effective prayers that God answers? We make them God-centered prayers to the point where we could even say, for your sake. And this week, we're going to come to a familiar psalm, Psalm 46. And this psalm is going to teach us how to pray with confidence because it reminds us that we're in God's presence. We're, when we're praying, we're talking to God. We're in his presence. And that's how we grow, to recognize God more consciously. We need to know that we're not speaking to a wall where our words just bounce off, right? Or we're speaking into the air where our words go off into nothingness. In our prayers, we are talking to the living God. And we may recognize Psalm 46, what it's famous for. You know that verse, be still and know that I am God? Maybe it's helped you in a moment of panic or when you were stressed or afraid, or restless. It helped me. It helped me this morning, in fact. I woke up. I went to bed at 1. I got up at 5.30, because, you know, we got a lot going on today. Don't feel bad for me. I was, you know, in and out watching the game as well, so, you know, that kind of pushed things back. 
But, you know, I, I was tired, waking up, and I started to feel a little nervous with everything that we have going on. I don't know if it was the pressure or if it was the wings that I had last night. I don't know what it was. But I needed to say, be still and know that I am God. Maybe you've had to say that for yourself, and it's helped you. We need God to tell us to calm down. If anyone else tells us to calm down, we don't calm down. (laughs) But if God tells us, okay, maybe we will, sometimes. How can this psalm help us, and help us more than just sometimes? Well, what if God is not saying to us, be still? Then who? We might be in for a surprise, okay? And that might be the key to this psalm, answering that question, who God is speaking to when he says, be still. That's going to help us understand the psalm and also help us to pray. So we have three points. First point is we have real help. That's what the psalmist begins with. Psalm 46, verse 1, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Now, you know, this psalm is pretty popular because of that other verse, be still, but maybe also because of this verse. This is another well-known verse, probably the second of the most famous verses here in this psalm, worthy of wall art, right? God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. We can turn to God for help anytime, all the time. Turn to God and turn to him first. Why? Well, because as one commentator put it, God is a refuge where he shields us from danger. And he is our strength where he empowers us in weakness. Refuge and strength, protection and power. And it's because he is present. But not just present, very present. Always, anytime, present to help us. All right, good. So then, verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. As a result of God's ever-present help, we get another inspiring line here, right? We will not fear, no matter what happens. And the psalmist paints for us a very overwhelming picture. It's a picture of the devastating forces of creation and how it can affect life. What we see is an earthquake-like event. And what caused it, though? The mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. See, it's the seas that eat up, swallow up the mountains. The waters are roaring and foaming, and it's not just waters that flood the earth. No, it's swallowing the mountains. And so it's to the point that the mountains tremble at its swelling, the billows. You know, it's like the mountain sees the waves coming, and it crashes against its base, and it's scared. But then further out, it sees these huge waves, a a wall a wall of a wave coming at it, and it screams, ah, it's trembling. You know when you're at the beach, you, you, you watch the little kids frolic in the water, and they play that game where they run out of the water because they're trying to run faster than the waves that are coming after behind them, right? You know that game? Maybe you remember playing it yourself. 
And there's always that one time where a kid, he runs a little too slow, he doesn't get the timing right, or he doesn't high step it enough, and he gets caught up and he falls, and then the waves go whoosh, crashing over him, right? And what happens? You remember what happened? Has, has this ever happened to you? You go tumbling, right? You don't know where up is. And then you get spit out onto the sand, you know, no, nose burning, coughing up salt water. You think a kid like that's going to want to go back into the water and let that happen again? No. <laughs> they're scared. <laughs> Maybe they'll roll the dice and play it again, but if they know that they're going to go tumbling like that, they're not going to do it. They're trembling. The mountains tremble. You know, it's the sea. The sea is so much more overwhelming than the mountains. And why? Because the seas represent the the movement and the chaos of uncontrolled life. How do some people describe the crises that they've faced in life? A spouse dies, and a surviving one says their world has caved in. Nearly all of your retirement savings is wiped out from the market crash, and you feel like your world has collapsed. You say something at work that reflects your convictions, but you get canceled, and not just canceled, you get fired, and your world's turned upside down. How do you deal with all of these things? These are the seas of life, uncontrollable, and we're afraid, actually, aren't we? The psalmist says, verse 2, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Now, let me say this. That is a powerful word. But if we're honest and realistic, our experience of this passage is often with mixed results. You know what I mean? Sometimes we do feel God, that he is close and present. God answers, we pull through. Some of you have gone through crazy things in life, unspeakable pain. It wasn't pretty with God for a while, but you know, you've experienced God being your refuge and strength. You can't imagine going through life without him, right? It's unbelievable faith where you are a testimony to the truthfulness of this word. And I have to affirm that in you, and I hope you all can experience that. But other times, most times, when we're going through trouble, God feels far away. He doesn't seem like a very present help, right? We feel overwhelmed, swallowed up by circumstances. You know, we find ourselves in tough situations, but, you know, they get worse. Those situations get worse. Do you know how they get worse? All the self-talk in your head, the self-talk. It's so easy to start thinking and raise all these unanswerable questions. That just creates uncertainty. And then you start to get stressed, and when you can't control that, you start to panic. How can this word help us? Help us more. Because, frankly, it does seem a little too rosy, doesn't it? Second point, real presence. See, God wants to grow you in awareness of his presence in your life. God wants to grow you in awareness of his presence in your life. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. We're going we're gonna to dwell on this one verse for a little bit because it's powerful. It's really powerful. 
We get some dramatic shifts in picture, a big transition, and it's supposed to lead to something, an outcome. What is it? Well, let's look at three stunning observations about this verse, and then it'll lead us to the outcome. We get a first shift in picture. What is that? We go from the seas that roar and foam to what? A river. Immediately, you're meant to imagine a peacefully flowing, curving river in the landscape, right? God's peace, it's like a river, transcends understanding. Second shift, we're meant to see saltwater seas that roar and foam to now streams that flow out of this river to water the earth. You know, the last thing you want to give someone when they're lost in the desert is a, a bottle of seawater. That's just going to uh, accelerate the dehydration, suffering, and perhaps death. But what we see here are streams, fresh water streams, life-giving water. Is that what God like? God, what God is like? He refreshes us. He makes us glad. He re-energizes us. And what's being referenced here probably involves the, the pool of Siloam. That's within the city walls of Jerusalem. You remember that account with Jesus? John chapter 5, there's a crippled man. He's so desperate. He wants to get into these stirring waters in the pool of Siloam that have some healing powers, but he's crippled and he can't get in the water. What's the healing water that the psalmist talks about? What is that like? That's the third shift in the picture. We, we have a river, a river, right? Which means you have a direction and a destination. And that's the outcome, the point of this transition. We're going from the awesome features of creation, you know, mountain and seas, to the majesty of the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Okay? Fearful mountain, afraid of the waters, to the glad mountain of God. And from this river, God is guiding his people to himself. Because he is in the city and within the city in his temple. Verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. God is in his city. Where God is, it will not be moved. That's why he can help, right? That's why you want to be where he is. Now, we should know that there was no actual river in Jerusalem. And yet, this picture is not just a poetic metaphor either. See, because there really was a stream that you know, watered the city of Jerusalem. Any city needs a supply of water, right? And for Jerusalem, it was called the Gihon Spring. It was outside the city walls, though. So when you're in a battle, that's not going to help you. And so what the Israelites did was they dug a tunnel from the Gihon Spring under the city walls inside Jerusalem, within the Jerusalem walls, right? Redirecting the water. But it's one of those ancient engineering feats of wonder because all this took place in the 6th century. And this tunnel was carved with just pickaxes, 1,700 feet under the ground through earth. How they did it was they started from each end. 
one crew from the Gihon Spring, the other from the other side in, on, within the walls, and they just kept chipping away until they finally met in the middle. But they did this without any kind of technology. I mean, you know, like GPS or sonar or whatever um, technology that you would use to work your way and navigate underground. And what's really cool is that you know where they met in the middle because all the pickaxe markings, they were, all, they were going in the opposite direction, but they met right at the middle there. Anyway, the spring water, it was diverting fresh water into the city, into the pool of Siloam. That was the lifeline for Jerusalem when it would be sieged and under attack. They still had water to survive. And that's why the psalmist likely wrote Psalm 46, verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. See, Jerusalem is dealing with real, scary, life-threatening problems. And so just as real as the city was, the water was just as real, and God's help was just as real. We're not talking about a metaphor here. Okay? Now, let me say that God is real. <laughs> I shouldn't have to tell us that, but you know, maybe we need to hear this, that God is real, but God is also a spirit. And what that means is that we can't see him but we know he's real. He's not a metaphor. Metaphor is different than spiritual, right? Do we know what the difference is? Metaphor is a figure of speech. The spiritual, well, that's the unseen reality, which is our existence. It's real. And because it is an unseen reality, God had to teach his people how to relate to him, how to first find him. <laughs> I'm going to be here in the city, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And there was a whole lifestyle that centered and developed around temple life so that people would know how to relate to God who they could not see. If you have kids or if you've worked with kids, they always ask such good questions, don't they? You know, like the, the question that, can you anticipate what they're probably, I'm thinking of the question that they might ask is like, how do we know God is real when you can't see him, right? That's a question that they've asked, I'm sure, many people. How would you answer that question? How do you know that God is real when I can't see him? Now, now unfortunately, there's no one simple answer that I could give, but there's a lot of things that we can say, which we all as parents and teachers should be teaching our kids, training them to know how to relate to the God that they can't see. Several things that you want to be able to say. Here's the first thing. You want to say, you can see God from all the things that he's created. That's his handiwork. That's what the Bible tells us, right? It's evident in all of creation, his glory. It had to come from somewhere. Second, you want to say that God, he, he, you can see him by what is good and what is right. And that's like in your conscience. You can know what is good and right. That's why you could also know what is guilt, what is what makes you feel guilty and what is wrong. It's because God made us. His fingerprints are all, all over our lives. Third, you want to be able to say this. This is significant. You can say, we don't see God now, that's right, but we hear him. 
We can hear him. And we're training our kids to hone their senses to listen to God. What does verse 6 say? The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress of life. See, when God speaks, the earth and the enemy, they melt. That's how you know God is with us. We hear him, hear his voice. And why hearing is so significant, this is a beautiful wisdom of God. Why hearing is so significant is because even though you cannot see God clearly, like when you're going through times of darkness, you can still hear him. He can still reach you. Sight matters, but in many ways, sight is partial in this life. Okay? And then just lastly, you want to be able to tell your kids, hey, just like God is in your hearts, God is in the hearts of all of his people. And so when they gather together, that's how you know God is real. That's where God is. I hope these are the things we can be teaching our kids. Maybe we need to learn them for ourselves as well, right? God is spirit. And he gives us a picture of a beautiful river so that he would be directing his people to the city, to himself, where God is, because where he is, he's able to help you. Now, we might believe, okay, I believe in God, I believe he's present in my life, but would we know and believe how he helps us? We see, we need to know why we need to be in God's presence for him to help us, why his presence matters. And so that brings us to the third point, real victory, verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And right there in that passage, as you're looking at it, here is the definitive word of victory. Armies, weapons, battles, death all that would oppose God and his people, God will deal with it. He, his force is fiercer than his enemies. And so it's to the point that he will be exalted in the nations, exalted in all the earth. He would say that famous line, be still and know that I am God. Who does he say this line to? Did you catch that? Who's God speaking to when he said, be still and know that I am God? Because that is the key to the psalm here. Was it to you who's fearful and anxious? Us, his people? Not primarily. And if not, then who? God is speaking that word to his enemies. And we might have to like, be clear about this verse because maybe we've got it backwards. Meaning God's saying this famous line to his enemies, but is that us? No, we are the covenant people of God, the, like Jacob, the God of Jacob, who is our fortress. We're told that twice in the psalm. It's like the psalmist is trying to remind us, don't forget who you are. You're not the enemy. You're God's people. And so I am going to be helped when God goes before me 
and I am behind him, and he faces the real enemy, which is the devil and all the spiritual forces of the devil that would work against God. When I hear God say to the spiritual forces, be still and know that I am God, that is the help. That's how God helps us. And we need to recognize who we are up against. It's not my circumstances. It's not even my own weakness, my emotional frailty, all of that stuff. That's, we have a far more formidable enemy that we're dealing with. The real powerful enemy is the devil and, the spiritual, and his spiritual forces that would oppose God. See, because behind all these weapons that the psalmist talks about, that God would destroy, all the wars that he would cease, behind all of that are the people who would oppose God. And behind the people are the spirits. The spiritual realm, what can't be seen but is oh so real. Right? People are evil and they can cause great harm. Bows and chariots and spears, they're real too. You don't want to get in the way of one of those, right? You will die. But it's behind those, what's behind those weapons, the people and their fallen flesh, fallen flesh, they fall prey to the devil. All the spirits that oppose God and his righteousness, that's why they go on to cause great harm. Physical dangers are dangerous. But do you realize that spiritual dangers are more dangerous? God is dealing with the source of the power, the spiritual forces that oppose him. And that's how God would claim victory. Now, if, if, we, if that's how we're to understand this verse, this passage, that really changes things. We'd have to adjust our perspective when it comes to our struggles where we start to recognize the spiritual forces that are at, in play. But we need to be clear about this, this whole thing, this whole struggle. It's like the story of David and Goliath. We all know the Sunday school story of the David and Goliath, but do we know the spiritually correct lesson to the story of David and Goliath? You know, we think we have to be the one who goes up against Goliath, goes up against our giants. We can't face the giants in our lives. We would lose miserably. See, we're like the Israelite army in that scene. They're quaking in their boots. No, we need a champion who would go before us, who would go up against the enemy, and we have one. And he's not a psychological help He's not a metaphor. He's our real living champion. What's that saying about what we need? If we needed more education, God would have sent a good teacher, right? If we needed more empowerment, God would have sent a politician. If we needed more fight, God would have sent a general. If we needed more advice, God would have sent a therapist. If we needed more strength, God would have sent a trainer. But what we needed was freedom from bondage to the devil, the fear of death, and judgment. And so God sent us a savior. One who could say to the wind and the waves, be still. And the disciples around him would be like, 
Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? Who is more afraid when face to face? The demon-possessed man called Legion or Jesus? Our earlier reading, there's a strong man. He's got all these possessions in his house. Who's the one who's stronger who can come and plunder the strong man's house? He's got to bind the strong man. That, that parable, it kind of like turns, it seems like it turns all the values upside down where, wait, is Jesus the stronger one? Is he the one who's stealing people? Is he the thief? He's the stronger one. That's the point of that parable. He's the one who frees us so that we would serve him, the new master. And so David and Goliath, going back to him, them, right? That's a picture and a lesson about Jesus and the devil. Jesus is the greater David, the greater king. He's the one who went up against the fiercest enemy. It looked like he lost, but three days later, he was declared victorious. What does Romans 1 say? Concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do we recognize our enemy and the one who helps us against the enemy? If we do, then let's also make sure about the fight. We're struggling to believe that Jesus can help me in my struggle. It's a fight at the spiritual level. And so we need to become familiar with how the devil fights. How does he fight? Lies, doubts, accusations, confusion, suspicions, distractions, fueling all of that self-head talk, the heart impulses, and the willful pride. That's how the devil works. Those are the threats that we're fighting against. Now, you might think, okay, those are real, I get it, but there are also, like, real, real <laughs> threats, you know? Like death, physical... Um, Torture, sickness, real things that we also have to deal with. How does Jesus help in those cases? Here's a good example of one of those lies, or perhaps it's a misunderstanding that we must clarify. You need to hear this, and you need to brace yourself for this, okay? Do you know that God never promised that he would take away all your pain in this life? God never promised that he would take away all your pain in this life. That might be hard to hear for some. But you know what? Receiving that word, embracing it, that's like the step towards true freedom. What did God promise then, right? That he would be my refuge and strength, a very present in trouble. That's what God promised us. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And how beautiful is that word because we don't have to go to a city or to a temple in order to find God's presence. When we are in Christ, united to him by faith, the Holy Spirit he sends to dwell within us, then we have the champion within us, Emmanuel, facing all of our enemies before us wherever we are. Enemies are always going to be tracking us, question is, are we tracking with Jesus? 
That's why we pray. And why when we pray, we want to pray believing, acknowledging we are speaking to Jesus. We are in his presence. He's always present. And we're always protected. That's the victory. All right. With that then, application. What does all this look like in terms of um, this new perspective on this passage? What does it look like in our lives? How is Jesus my refuge and strength? Protection and power. First, how is Jesus my refuge in my struggles? We need to be able to hear Jesus rebuke all of our spiritual enemies with their weapons, the lies, the accusations, the doubts, the what-ifs. We need to hear Jesus say to all of that that's in our heads, be still and know that I am God. You know, it's all that head talk. The debilitating thought patterns, the paralyzing questions, the self-inflicted fears, all the what-ifs. What if this happens? What if that is true? What if that doesn't happen? You know those what-ifs? Of course, we just come out of COVID. and We were just like, stuck in the what-if barrel, weren't we? What if I'm walking outside and I have my mask on and someone walks past me and they breathe and a virus particle comes out of their mask and somehow travels through the air and gets into my mask so that I get COVID and then I die, right? All these what-ifs. I'm not trying to minimize COVID. A lot of people died. And the scenario that I've just mentioned, it actually cuts both ways. You could be anti-masker, pro-masker. All of the what-ifs and the fears. It was so exhausting during COVID, right? No wonder everyone just retreated. You know, a pack of uh, African wild dogs, they can take down a gazelle or an ibex like five times its size. These dogs are really small and scrawny, but you get a pack of them, and they can take down a huge beast. Why? How? All they do is circle their prey, and they just nip at the behind. That's all they have to do. And the, the prey just goes in circles to the point that it gets tired, and then it just sits down, and it allows itself to get eaten alive. But then in steps the lion of Judah, and the dogs scatter. All the lies, all the talk, all the what-ifs, the dogs. How does Jesus help when we have all these conversations so that all of, the, all of it gets quieted? Well, we need to know this, too. And this is like, we're all growing up and taking, dealing with mature truths here, right? We need to know this. Our fears will never go away fully. Our fears will never go away fully. Performing at the concert level, like if you're a, a pianist or a comp um, conductor, it's a real intense experience. The composer, Eric Whitaker, this is what he said about it. The terror of performing never goes away. Instead, you get very, very comfortable being terrified. Right? Isn't that the truth? That's reality. Fear never goes away. But by trusting in Jesus, we can hear his word spoken to the enemies, be still. He doesn't say be gone. He says be still. That's what quietens the head talk. That's when all the fears, the doubts, the what ifs that are churning in our heads get disarmed. And that's when the spirit who dwells in us turns all of those what ifs 
into even ifs. Right? What if this happens? Oh, no. What if that is true? Oh, no. But how about this, where we can be prepared to say, even if that happens, or even if that is true, Jesus is still my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's what we're praying. In our fear, in our anxiety, in our stress, whatever we're overwhelmed by, we're praying, help me to hear you, Jesus, say to my enemies and spiritual oppressors, the peddler of lies and accusations, be still and know that I am God. That's what I prayed this morning. <laughs> kind of nervous about today, a lot going on, the pressure, feeling it, I'm tired, not feeling great. To say be still, and I wasn't saying be still to me. <laughs> I say be still to the enemy. Help me to claim your victory and power. For us, Holy Spirit, Help me to hear you turn my what-ifs into even-ifs. And sure, sometimes you can say, be still, know that I'm God, to yourself. That's okay, too. Just know that when you're saying it to yourself, you're just reminding yourself of what Jesus is saying to our enemies. That's how Jesus is our protection, our refuge in trouble, struggles. More positively, how is Jesus going to be my power for good? Because we want to live for God and obey his commands, right? We want to live for him and do what he wants us to do. The sum of God's law is love God and love neighbor. Loving God, we all want to do, even though we don't do it well, of course, right? We get that. Loving the neighbor, that's a, little bit, that's a bit harder. We don't often want to do it. At least, hopefully, all of us should, should know that we should do it and that it is good for us because that is true freedom. Free of myself where I can care for others. And that's when we need to recall, be still and know that I am God. And when we're saying that, what we're saying is I'm fighting against that thought. Resisting the power that says, look after yourself first. Don't give of yourself too much. They're not worth it. They might hurt you. You aware of all those mental negotiations we have in our heads as we're engaging people? To those powers, we need to hear these victorious words of Jesus. Be still and know that I am God. And that's when the Holy Spirit starts to work. Bear his fruit in me for you. Like the composer said, the terror of performing never goes away. Instead, you get very, very comfortable being terrified. Flip that on its head. How good is it that Jesus, by the Spirit, would cause us to experience the terror, the terror of self-giving love to the point we get comfortable being terrified like that, right? Just like Jesus, just like Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray that happens. Father, thank you for this word to us. We do pray that you would give us the eyes of faith, the eyes of faith to see the spiritual battle that's before us, and most of all, the eyes of faith to see our great champion, the Lord Jesus, whom you sent, our Lord and our Savior. We pray that we would be hearing him speak to us more and more, help us to believe and acknowledge his presence in our lives more and more, so that we would indeed talk to him and be able to deal with the spiritual enemies. Grow us in that fight. Teach us what that fight looks like. 
so that we would be honoring you and we would be loving our neighbors. All for your glory, for our good, what is the blessed life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.